Gen Z culture moves incredibly fast and it's only increasing in the rate of its acceleration. Higher education moves comparably slow. And therefore, there's often a disconnect between higher ed and prospective students. Everyone in higher ed wants to know what strategies and tactics work best to recruit this next generation of students. And just when folks think they've got it, preferences seem to change. Welcome to Signals, a special series on the trends, indicators, and Gen Z behaviors shaping the future of higher ed digital advertising. Brought to you by Glacier and Enrollify. I'm Zach, founder of Enrollify. And I'm Matt Diddlejan, co-founder and CEO of Glacier, a digital advertising agency specializing in youth marketing and higher education. You can subscribe to this series and access other podcasts, e-courses, videos, and more at enrollify.org. And if you want to learn a little bit more about Glacier, head on over to weareglacier.org forward slash enrollify and download one of their epic white papers. All right, without further ado, welcome to the show. All right, Matt. So we are talking about where high school students really spend their time online. And this is a topic that I know you all at Glacier care a lot about. It's certainly something that every listener who is working in higher education cares about. And so I'm excited to sort of like unpack some of the research you all have been doing, some of the experiments that we've been running, and just sort of riff on the more notable areas and really just lessons learned about how 17, 18, 16-year-olds are spending their time online and what bearing, if any, that should have on where hired marketers spend their money. Sound good? Sounds great. I'm super excited. Well, good, man. Um, So folks, the way that we thought about splitting up this episode was into a few different categories. We want to talk about social, right? Obviously, people, teenagers spend a lot of time on social. Teenagers Mm -hmm. also spend a lot of time on search. And, uh, you know, if you've been around a 17 year old recently, you understand that if they've got a question about anything, you know, they dive into their pocket and maybe they use Siri or more likely they just quickly query something into Google to find the answer. So search is just is just a part of human behavior, especially sort of at, uh, you know, the, the teenage level. Then we want to talk about just content consumption behavior and what what kinds of content Gen Z in particular is consuming and what we can learn by those behaviors. Uh, and then also just any other sort of, you know, behavioral differences that this generation uh, might express that is notable for hired marketers to, to consider. Matt, anything else I'm missing that you want to make sure that we riff on today? I don't think so. I think it'll all come out as it should. I think that's a good outline. Good. Absolutely. Good. All right. Well, let's talk about social. So Matt, talk to me just right off the cuff. You guys spend a lot of time working with high school students. You spend a lot of time researching sort of how high school students uh, behave digitally speaking. So as it pertains to social, what what do we need to be aware of about how Gen Z kind of spends that time and anything in particular that uh, any particular insight you might want to share around what higher ed marketers need to be paying attention to with respect to where they spend money in correlation to how these teenagers are spending their time on social? Sure. So 
a couple of things there that right off the top of my head that you mentioned. So with, with the pandemic, we were doing, we do a lot of research all the way, you know, every, all the, every quarter, essentially, and we put out white papers throughout different parts of the year. And so some of the white, always in the white papers, what we're trying to find out is, is where are high school students spending their time online? How are they, how are they spending their time? Also, what is ad recall like all that kind of stuff. And so we did it, we've been doing it for three years now. So we have some data pre pandemic, and then we've been following it during the pandemic. Now, once we're coming out of the pandemic as well, or, you know, depending on where you're at the fourth wave, but wherever we're at in the pandemic right now. So we've been, we've been doing data analytics and collection all, all the way along. And so what we found really interesting is that during the pandemic, like we knew students were spending a lot more time online, but I don't think we understood how much they were spending more time online. Hmm. Like, like, you know, we, we were seeing stats like, you know, four or five hours a day that they're spending on their phones, et cetera. And then when we did our data and collection, it was, it was much more than that. And even in some of these, some of these focus groups, we actually went around and just said, you know, show us your data usage on your iPhone. And some of these students, it was like 14 hours a day on just their phone. That's not including their laptop. That's not including, you know, their iPad or other screens or TVs, even that's just their phone. It was 14 hours a day. So it was, it was insane. And I mean, you know, probably a bit of a cause for concern. And, and, you know, now that students are back in school or doing some kind of a hybrid model that that is probably less so, but I think just the amount of usage that Mm. students, you know, we knew and figured it was probably a lot because they're at home, you know, there's not classes, there's not much to do, but that amount of usage is insane. So what, what impact is that going to have on the long term, you know, because you, you got to think about it like it takes what 30 to 60 days to form a habit. Well, they were doing that for a year plus. So, I mean, is that is this increased usage of social media going to be a longer term habit? Hmm. I mean, I think so. I think so. You yeah. know, it's like those habits are going to take a long and, and they're very impressionable young minds. So I think those kind of usage habits are not going to go away. So, and I don't know if it's similar with what you guys have been experiencing, but like just that insane increase in usage is one of the things that really blew us away. I'm curious, was there anything in these focus groups or even just in survey surveys that you all conducted around what folks were actually doing on social? Meaning one of the things that I think is is interesting uh, to, to parse out and hard to do is like how much time on social media is sort of spent either posting yourself, right? Like, so you're, you know, spending time posting an Instagram story or a Snapchat story, how much time is spent sort of just consuming friends, you know, content. So like watching Mm. the stories of your, yeah, your classmates or your cousins, whatever it might be, versus how much time is sort of spent consuming content from brands. And I use that, you know, with a lowercase b brands, even sort of like influencers maybe representing a brand um did you guys were you able to sort of like parse out any anything notable there around the kind of media that folks were uh, consuming on social and or just the various different things that they were doing while on social media sure yeah we don't oh that's such a i would absolutely love to know the answer to that because we haven't got that granular into the data. And I don't know if anyone really has. But, I know. I don't think people okay. have. I, I, I've yeah, never like, seen something like that. But anyways, yeah. opportunity. Absolutely. Because it's like, you know, here's your here's your phone usage statistics from Apple. And it's, you know, shows TikTok of five hours. It's like, well, what actually happened in that five hours? Yeah. 
were, was two of that creating TikTok videos. But so we, I, we didn't get that granular, but man, I would love to. But so what I can speak to is, is really anecdotally and even, even more so it's, it's like anything, right? Like it follows a Pareto distribution. Hmm. So the, the majority of TikToks and Snapchats and whatever come from a small percentage of creators. And, and I don't think it's any different amongst youth. So, you know, your average high school student, like I almost guarantee if you go looked at colleges or high schools or whatever, the, the, the like 80% of the TikToks or snaps created are probably coming from 20% of the students. Hmm. So the majority of students are probably more consumers than producers. That's, that's what I, and, and from, from our focus groups, that seems to be the case too, where we talk to, you know, like the majority of students that we talk to in those focus groups, they say that, you know, they spend three hours just getting sucked into a TikTok vortex. So I, I, I would imagine that the majority of those usage statistics are probably consuming rather than producing. And a smaller percentage of students are actually producers than consumers. That would be my guess. Yeah. That'd be my guess. Now that's not to say, and I, and I think it's probably platform dependent as well. Like, you know, on a Snapchat, it's really easy to, cause Snapchat is more of a communication tool amongst, amongst friends than it really is a content consumption platform. And same with Instagram to, to some extent, Instagram is much more, and that's how, that's how students are using it. They're using it as much more of a communication platform. Whereas if they're going to consume content somewhere, TikTok seems to be the place that has, you know, absolutely overtaken all of the others. Yeah. And that was, that was one of the other crazy things. We, we just published our new white paper and uh, last year, daily usage of TikTok was at 72%. This year it's at 92%. Jeez. It's actually, it's overtaken Instagram. Yeah, it is now the most used daily social app out of all of them by, by quite a bit. And Instagram went from, uh, I think last year it was 95% and this year it's 86%. So a 9% decrease, which is, which is pretty staggering when you yeah. think about it. Instagram had been static for years. This is the first year that we've seen TikTok has overtaken Instagram in terms of daily usage. One of the things that I don't want to uh, just brush over, because I think it's actually really important that you just mentioned, is the difference between sort of Instagram as, uh, in your example, a communication platform versus sort of TikTok as this consumption platform. And I think mm -hmm. that there's not enough conversation right now happening in higher ed about like the different kinds of content you need to be creating for different social networks, depending on sort of, again, what is the user intent? Like the primary and secondary and even sort of like tertiary user intent for using these mm. particular platforms. And if in fact it's true that when it comes to Instagram, uh, at least for how students are interacting with colleges, right? The expectation is that it's more of a communication platform than it is a consumption platform. That should inform the content strategy of the school. And likewise, right, on the opposite end of the spectrum here, when it comes to TikTok, right, like if it's consumption related and not communication related, at least primarily, then the kind of content that colleges and universities create on TikTok should be quite different than the kind of content that they create on Instagram and other social apps. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a really good note. And that's something we always try to determine and differentiate is, is how are they using these different channels? And, uh, you know, Snapchat, for example, it's, it's pretty much purely communication. It, it, it's almost replaced text messaging amongst high schoolers and, and Gen Z. They, they use it much more like, you know, millennials and, and, and up use text messaging. That's how Snapchat's used. Mm. And so, and so keeping that in mind and, and, other interesting stats is we've seen over the years that students have have had their desire to receive 
DMs on different social platforms increase. You know, 22% of students are now open and wanting to receive DMs from, from universities and colleges. And so that's where we think it could be really interesting with Snapchat. You know, if you can actually have that like one-to-one interaction with the university on Snapchat, like you would with one of your friends, or at least it feels like one-to-one, like that's, that's incredibly powerful, you know, because mm-hmm. it's, it's much more communication. Whereas yeah, something like TikTok, it's all about just consumption and left less so of that communication element. You know, they go, they're going on Instagram and snap to really keep up with friends and, and understand what's going on in their lives and, you know, communicate with them that way. Whereas TikTok, they're going to watch, they're going to be entertained. They've got five minutes where they just want to consume some content. That's when they're using TikTok. Absolutely. Uh, a quick uh, anecdote there too. So my uh, sister, she's 16 years old and she's a, oh gosh, I think she's she's a junior in, in high school. Um, and she was talking to me the other day about how she started like, you know, casually looking at schools and uh somehow she i don't know she must have filled out some form on a a state a local state university's website and uh this admissions counselor angela reached out to her and you know said hey uh abigail like if you've got any questions uh you know i know that you're just a junior and probably just starting your college search like let me know i'm here for you yada yada so later that day she was on instagram and she decided to like look up the school so she looked up the school on instagram and um i guess was impressed by their content or whatnot and she reached out she she clicked a message and she reached out and said hey um quick question i was talking to angela earlier and yada 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 here's my question and it was so funny to me when she was telling me this story is like of course like the person monitoring instagram is not angela right like the admissions counselor that she received the automated message from but it was it was and she realized like in hindsight she's like oh yeah that was probably like silly and dumb but like for i thought it was such an interesting sort of like uh, uh, realization about sort of like where we're at in terms of consumer expectations and demand mm-hmm. around interacting with brands on social. Like she genuinely thought like, Oh, let me just follow up and ask Angela this question. Um, via the general institution's Instagram mm. account. It was almost like just like it, it was uh, native to her. She just like assumed that she'd be able to get her question answered or be able to reach the person she was trying to reach. So anyways, tangent, but like I think that what you're what you're talking about around like expectations for the difference between communication and consumption oriented channels and specifically like the way in which uh, youth use these social channels, it's imperative that schools understand sort of just how folks that are 16, 17, you know, 15, even 18 years old are thinking about these tools and the kind of information they expect to be able to receive quickly from these various platforms. That's a really interesting point. <laughs> and it's funny because you, you, with your with your sister example, it makes sense, right? It's like you have a representative reach out from that school and you just assume that this is your contact. Yes. It's your point of contact. Yes. And that, you know, anything to do with that school is now going to come through that point of contact. But it's it's also probably trickling in from other industries wherein, you know, their customer service is so spotted. You know, yep. like Zappos, for example, like their customer service is insane and it's so good. And that's the brands that these, these high school students or these Gen Zs are interacting with. And then that's their expectation. And so now they're applying it to different colleges and universities or whoever else. And it's almost, it's not fair, right? Because universities are a completely <laughs> different beast. Uh, but, but that's, that's just like their expectation that they're coming in with. Yeah. And so that's, 
That's something to really keep in mind. I thought you were, I thought you were going to finish that story by saying, and then the, what was the recruiter's name? Angela. Angela or yeah. Yeah. Angela. And then Angela reached out to your sister. I was gonna be like, Holy, like, if wow, only. that is mind blowing. If only, if, if only, only there weren't so many communication silos in higher ed, that might be possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was gonna be like, which school is that? Because they are doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. Got it but yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting point. So I'm curious with social too, right? One of the things that hired marketers care a lot about is like what content actually performs well, like how, what, you know, what kind of content should schools be creating on these respective platforms? And we've already talking mm -hmm. about the fact that like content needs to be different depending on platform content needs to be different depending on audience, et cetera. But like any, any notable, uh, uh, insight that you all gathered around like the kind of content, either content type or format or who should be featured in the content that um, might be worth sort of uh, noting here? Yeah, it's really difficult to give any hard and fast rules because each school is so different. Yeah. It depends on the audience, depends on the campaign, et cetera. But one of the things that we always like to ask in our research is what are the important factors that you're looking at when considering a college or a university? And this is, like I said, this is the third year we've been doing this now. And overwhelmingly, the top four always rise to the top. And so it's always, it's always the quality of teaching that came in at 55%, cost of attending at 50%, the location at 49%, and student life on campus at 47%. Hmm. So those have been relatively static for the past three years. And, and I mean, we're, you know, we're surveying thousands of high school students every year, and they're always different students sure, because we're sure. always... Right. So it's just like it's kind of surprising that the percentages always come in like plus or minus two or three percent. But those are consistently the things that students are always citing as as you know what they're what they're looking for. So we always we always find that really interesting. And so we always advise our clients then to try to craft their content uh, as to things that fall into those buckets. Yeah. You know, it's it's what is what is the really unique positioning of that university or college that falls into one of those, because that's what you really got to be getting out there. You know, if you, if you've got, you know, if, like if you have a, if you have a cost advantage, you know, and we hear this all the time where um, colleges and universities, like in Canada, sometimes we hear that, Oh, because you know, there'll, there'll be a, a really good college on the, in a border town and they'll start advertising in the U S because they have a cost advantage because the Canadian dollar is 30% cheaper. Hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's like, that's your unique thing. That's yeah. what's going to get you students, you know, like get that into your messaging. Or if you have phenomenal teaching or you have small classrooms or whatever, you know, like that's what students are really looking for. 55% of students are looking for those kinds of things. So can you craft that in your messaging? That's going to really stand out. Um, other ones that we've seen really like this one campaign that just did phenomenally well, it was done by an agency out of Toronto called Mars Agency. Uh, for Acadia University in Canada. And they just did an exceptional job. And pretty much all they did was highlighting the location. Hmm. It's on the, you know, we were just talking about Maine and how you're in Maine right now. Um, Acadia University is on the Eastern coast of Canada. It's kind of like the Maine of Canada. And it's just, it's right on the ocean. It is absolutely stunning. The, the school actually owns an island, like a little, you know, nondescript remote island that they use re for research. And so it's just like all beautiful aerial shots, just highlighting the location. You know, so it's, it's like, how does, how does your unique, your unique proposition, how does that fit into the quality of teaching, the cost of attending location or student life? That's, yeah. that's really what we try to do. And that's, and that's really where the magic happens. We think. Yeah, no, those are all, those are all great insights. And I think that, uh, the, that's the first step is sort of like 
okay, highlight those UVPs and really understand, okay, what is it that's going to make us different and test different things, right? Because if you, if you go to different stakeholders at a university, right, and you ask faculty, you ask students, you ask staff, like, hey, what makes us special? What makes us unique? You'll probably get different answers. And maybe, you know, those different answers are, are worth testing within the context of a campaign. And I think, like, once you've identified those things, what is hard to figure out, I think, for hired marketers is like, okay, what is the right way to translate those UVPs into, like, content type and content format? Um, and yeah. I, I was actually scrolling through TikTok this morning before we were uh, hopping on uh, uh, this interview because I, I knew we were going to be talking about TikTok. And I was like, okay, I'm just curious. Like, let's look at like uh, higher ed. Let's look at higher ed marketing. Let's look at student success, student recruitment. Let's look at college. And let's just see kind of like, you know, what content is, is out there today. Uh, and as I'm scrolling through uh, content, uh, there was, uh, you know, just just a couple of TikToks that are that were uh, your classic, like fun, dynamic, you know, dance college students sort of like doing the latest and greatest. I'm, I feel like old because I don't even know what these dance moves are called anymore. But uh, doing these doing these dances, right? And then you get uh, a, a few scrolls in, and like the fourth TikTok in the like higher ed category today was uh, this, it was like a, it was a, a sponsored post from this college or university that was like this, uh, this like not, it wasn't even an aerial shot. It was like a camera shot that like zoomed very slowly uh, onto their like uh, their, their student like center or whatever. And it was like this like almost, almost like painfully slow zoom into like mm. the student center and you see like three students it, it, it might have not even been a video now that i'm thinking about it it might have been like an image that like they tried to make look and feel like a video but it was such a stark contrast from literally every other content uh, uh type or format uh that i interacted with in that you know 30 minutes that i i can't decide if like i was like huh that's interesting because it's super, super different and AKA like really, really boring and like pretty static. But like I, I got their message. It, it made sense. Um, and it's like, is that like my, my initial reaction is like, this is a terrible strategy. Like what the, what the heck are these people doing? The content is clearly not created for TikTok. But then I was like, well, you know, because it stands out so much and because it is a college, like maybe, maybe it works. But then I was like, you know what? I'm probably looking, I, I, I'm looking too closely at this right now. Like I am trying to find like the schools that are doing well or not so well on TikTok that there's so much bias that I'm bringing to this scroll right now that none of this is probably that valid. But anyways, I am sharing all of that only because I do think like when, when universities, like when institutions are publishing content on TikTok in my, you know, experience, it is such it's tone deaf, quite frankly, like uh, with respect to the other kinds of con the other kinds of content that are produced on the platform. So I guess my question for you is like, do you guys when you are talking to students and when you are trying to sort of like assess, you know, what content folks find influential, like when it comes to college or, uni or universities, like what are you advising folks to do? Like, should institutions have, you know, TikTok accounts? Like, should they have, should they hire like influencers at their respective universities to sort of own and run the account? Like, I guess, how do you think about the relationship between institution, right? And mm -hmm. the ability to create content for a consumption platform, like we've just identified, right? Uh, yeah. And do so in a way that, makes sense and, and resonates. Yeah. Oh, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think there's a very fine line between jumping on a TikTok trend and doing well and just being so cringeworthy that it's just like, 
oh, you were damaging your brand so badly. Like, why did you do that? You know what I mean? And it's a very fine line. And so as with all social media, as with all advertising in general, I think if you're going to do something, you either have to do it really well or just don't do it at all. Hmm. You know, like, like if you're going to have a TikTok account, crush it, invest the necessary time, energy, money, resources to make it really good, or just don't even have one at all. Yeah. You know, because there's tons of universities that don't have a TikTok or they don't have Snapchat and that's fine. But that's honestly much better than a student going and and researching your TikTok or Snapchat and just seeing a half-hearted or shitty content. Yeah, yeah. It is is much better to have nothing than to have something shitty. That's that's what I personally believe. And so what are we saying with TikTok? And I love love what you said there, because I like to think of each platform. It's got its own culture. Hmm. You know, it's got its own it's it's got its own vibe. It's got its own feel. You know, the culture of Reddit is completely different to TikTok, completely different to Snapchat, you know, and then Triller. I don't know if you've been on Triller yet, but like that's one we we just have started researching. And it's like it's fascinating and it's a completely different culture than TikTok and whatever. So it's really all about thinking about these platforms as almost like a like a, like a, get like a soiree or a gathering or a party, you know, and you're walking in and, you know, you, you want to like check the vibe of the room first before you go up and start, you know, having your slow aerial shot when everything else is a TikTok dance, you know, it's like, so you really got to like know the vibe of the room. And, and that's what we see so often is higher ed marketers. They're just jumping into the room, whether it's TikTok and they're just throwing something out there without even understanding the social norms or the context or the culture at all. And you, they just fall flat on their face. And, and, then, and it's just so cringeworthy. You know what I mean? So that's why what we advise clients is you've got to get people that have good taste and they understand the culture or the social norms of each platform. They have to be the ones overseeing it. And by and large, and it's almost something you can't really teach. It's like someone has good taste, right? That, that's so, and it's so important. And so what we, what like we're actually doing, I'm actually just got off a call this morning with a client that we're doing this for. We're helping them hire a team of five students that are going to be their content creators for TikTok. And we vetted them and made sure that they have some semblance of understanding of TikTok. And they already like have shown or demonstrated an ability to create good content. And they actually understand TikTok and understand good taste. And then we're going to be facilitating, helping them uh, get these students to produce one video per week. And they're just going to become this TikTok producing machine. And that's, and that is the right way to do it. You know, it's like get those that understand the platform and have good taste, get them to start creating the videos for you. And they're going to do such a much better job than, you know, somebody who's like 35 or, or whatever. So it's like, you got to have people that are inundated and ensconced in the culture that get the platform to actually be the ones overseeing and producing the content. So that's, that's what we really advise. Oh, so much gold there. I, I love that. Um, and you know, it, it makes me think too, that, you know, when it comes to sort of the future of hired marketing and, and student recruitment, like what's going to happen is you're going to have, you know, your VPs of marketing and basically what they're going to, they're going to do is they're going to meet with these sub teams of students who are, you know, by and large better equipped to act as brand ambassadors and recruiters than, you know, their admissions counselors that are 10, 15, 20, sometimes 30 years older than these, than these students. Right. Um, and it's going to be like the, the VP of marketing is going to come in and they're going to say, Hey, you know, Matt and team, um, 
our goal over the next 12 months is we want to increase sort of uh, our brand awareness uh, around these core areas. Like we want people to associate our brand with these, you know, four pillars or something like that, right? And what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, uh, small class sizes and uh, individual faculty uh, attention and location are three areas that really, really matter to us. I want you to come back to me with sort of like a pitch, right? For how do how do you translate these like thirty thousand foot, ten thousand foot sort of like brand themes into a series of TikToks that uh, is going to get highly engaged? And then you're gonna have this, you know, this team of of, of student creators, right? Go back. They're gonna be paid because we're gonna have to pay them for their time. They're gonna come back and they're gonna pitch to the VP of marketing. Hey, here's what we're thinking. And then the VP of marketing is gonna have to vet it, make sure that you know the latest dance isn't you know, that won't hurt the brand uh, or the perception of, of, of the institution's brand. And then they're going to say, hey, yeah, go, like run with this. This this makes sense. That is like where ad spend, like that is where like budget is going to go in for the for the future of marketing. And so, oh, yeah, it's so it's so like cool to hear that that's actually already happening. Like you guys are literally working with a school doing this right now, because that's yeah. that's definitely the minority of like kind of where we're at at the moment. But that's that's the future. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, you know, it's it's not like we're the only ones doing this. Like we've talked, we've seen this happen at a few different campuses, and some have even gone as far as they have a team, I think, of three to five students, and they've just given them carte blanche over the TikTok account. They don't approve the content, they don't they don't check it, they don't do anything. They just let the students run wild. Wow. And 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 they're a pretty big name university. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I yeah. and I just like. I heard them say that. And I just like, I, I just gave them an applause. I was like, fantastic. Because I don't know, personally, people that are so concerned about brand reputation and all that kind of stuff. It's like, have you gone on and checked, you know, the hashtag your university name recently? Hmm. Like, look at the party photos, look at the drinking photos, look at like, uh, or the videos, you know, like, like you can't control that. Yeah. The students are out there posting these party videos, posting whatever they want anyways, and that's what, that's what prospective students, that's what the community, that's what everyone's looking at. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's like, I, I, I don't know, like, and if you pre-vet these students and make sure that they're rock stars and really good kids, which is what, you know, we, we've been doing influencer marketing using high school students and college students for a long time. And when we find the good ones, man, they're fantastic. They yeah. are fantastic. And, and yeah, that's what we're doing with one of our clients right now is we've, uh, we've vetted these five students and we're training them. And, you know, luckily my wife is a, a TikTok influencer and, She's had videos that have gotten into the, you know, the millions of views now. And so she's actually helping teach these students how to create viral videos. Um, but that is the way to do it is you find the students and, and give them the sandbox to play in and then let them create really cool stuff. That's that's the move for sure. Ooh, I love it. I love it. And I mean, you know, for the VPs of, of marketing listening to this, like, I, I'm sure that these students, like these student creators, these student influencers cost a fraction of what you'd pay sort of like an agency to kind of like create this, this content. And that content from the agencies, yeah, you know, potentially not as relevant as the, as the as the content. Definitely not as like organic, right, and authentic as the content coming from your own students. So if for yeah. no other reason, think about like the potential like huge cost savings here um, oh, yeah. rather than having to outsource this content to an agency. Oh, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's the brilliant thing about students too, is, is they want experience or even, you know, they just, we've worked with students before too, that are just so stoked that their college reached out to them to produce the content that the money's and the money's not even that much, right? Yeah. Because yeah, they yeah. are by and large amateur. They're just so stoked to be working for the college because they love it so much that 
the money is almost a non-factor. Yeah. And, and, and they will produce. And that's the thing about, you know, we talked about TikTok and Snapchat, like the ads that perform the best are the ones that you can't really tell it's an ad. And, and it's really, really organic or native looking. Those are the ads that perform the best. So what we think the move is, is you get all of this organic content, you know, you see what performs the best, and then you hand it over the fence to your design team and get them to turn into a paid ad. And that becomes your paid ad. Yeah. And that's what really, really performs better. Ooh, yeah. I love that. I love that. No, that that's that's a hack that I feel like anyone listening to this could do. Uh, and again, at the end of the day, you probably save yourself time and money and resources. Like if you already know what's performing well organically and it's about streamlining that, right? Uh, maybe making it a little bit prettier and then uh, running a couple of paid campaigns, like that just makes a ton of sense. You've already validated that the creative and the copy uh, and you know that whatever other asset might be involved there is working. So, you know, why reinvent the wheel? Why try to create a completely exactly. different strategy for paid than for organic? Totally, totally. So Matt, this is a, a nice segue into uh, our conversation around like search behavior. So we've been talking about sort of like where students are spending time on social. Uh, as we talked about a little bit earlier, right? Students are also spending a lot of time searching. They, they spend a lot of time on Google, on YouTube, right? Uh, on Even on social platforms, like conducting searches to look for content that is interesting to them to get their questions answered, whatever it might be, right? So uh, mm-hmm. I had this funny like experience, uh, this interesting experience with my brother. It was actually last Christmas, so it's been a little uh, while now, but I was sitting down with him and uh, we were working on this little side hustle together and we were trying to, you know, print some swag. And I was like, yo, we should get t-shirts. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, let's, let's, let's do it, you know? So we're sitting down next to each other uh, in my parents' living room. And, you know, it's, it's cold outside. There's a fire roaring. Uh, it was this very, like, quintessential sort of, like, Christmassy sort of, like, vibe. And my brother is uh, Googling. He, he just, like, take, he literally, like, takes my laptop. And he puts it on his lap. And he's like, all right. Uh, he starts Googling, like, best t-shirt design companies or how to get my t-shirt design, et cetera. The first result that like popped up on organic, he immediately like scrolled past the paid ads, by the way. He was like, oh yeah, no, no they're, they're, those are those people are paying to be here. It's probably not that great anyway. So he scrolls past the paid uh, search ads. He clicks the first organic result. He goes to the website and um, I see him scroll very quickly to the bottom of the page and then scroll back up and then hit back. And I was like, what are you doing, dude? Like, I didn't even have like time to like read the page. He's like, oh, no, no, like I was looking for a search bar and they, they didn't have one. So uh, I, I know what I'm looking for. So I, I just went back. So he went back to the search result pages. He went to the second uh, result, clicked on that one, right? And immediately was hit with a pop-up banner. He closed that and then immediately went back to the search result pages, went to the third uh, link, clicked on that, went up. They had a search bar in the top right corner. He he looked for, the, I guess, the specific kind of shirt he was looking for. They had it. And literally within a matter of, you know, a few minutes, we had, you know, purchased the shirt and what was so interesting interesting to me about that behavior was a couple things one it was so fast like the decision making process that you know he subconsciously sort of like went through to avoid the ads click on the organic the first organic link to if if it didn't have a search bar which is what he was looking for because he knew what he wanted right uh, he immediately went back to search the search engine result pages. And it wasn't until he found a search bar could validate that this company actually had the product he was looking for and could quickly and easily sort of like build his custom shirt that he ended up sort of like, you know, purchasing from that company. That was how he sort of like made his, 
yeah, uh, decision, right? He, he, he totally ignored like the navigation on sites. Like he wasn't looking for, he wasn't drilling down into like, oh, you know, shirts, oh, products, okay, uh, blue shirts, right? Like he totally ignored nav. He immediately went to search. And I think that that's just like a, a testament to sort of Gen Z and their expectation that search be able to essentially solve all of their discovery problems, right? Like search, uh, our friends over at uh, Squiz talk a lot about this and they say like, you know, search isn't, is no longer like ancillary to navigation. Search is navigation. And I think that like that was such a testament to uh, what, you know, happened with my brother, but then also what is just sort of like representative of, of Gen Z as a whole. So that's a really long way of asking you a question, which is like, did you guys uncover or have you talked to Gen Z a little bit about sort of like their just search behavior and any sort of like notable trends about how folks search, where they search, uh, how important kind of like search is to their overall sort of like digital experience that you might be able to share with us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that anecdote is very insightful into the psyche of the generation as a whole, which like we talked about before, is that they are getting these expectations from these other industries, which are, you know, light years ahead of higher ed when it comes to customer service or website user experience, et cetera. And they're applying it now to every industry because that is now their expectation. And so you know, I hear that. And it's just like, well, of course, like that's the easiest way to find something. Like, why would, why would that not be their expectation? You know what I mean? But that's like, that's human centered design. And that, and that's, that is what these industries that are, like I said, light years ahead, that's what they're doing is all these human centered design things as opposed to, which I think is very quintessential in higher ed, which is much more supply side. You know, it's like, Mm. what are the programs that we're offering how does it make the most sense for us to work with our webmaster to display the information and whatever? It's like, that's not at all how the, the trends in website usability and all that kind of stuff are happening. It's all, all about human centered design. And so your, your brother now has been, you know, trained by these other industries to expect human centered design. Yeah. And so when he goes to a website, that is what he expects, you know, like the one that pops up and it's like, Hey, put in your email. And it's like, okay, that is supply side. That is them wanting your data to then add you to a list, right? It's not about how are we genuinely best serving the audience that is coming to our site. Yeah. So that's 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 really interesting. Um, one of the more interesting things that came out uh, in one of our, you know, we do lunch and learns with our digital teams every now and then just to understand what's going on. And one of the interesting things that came out was that if you do not put, you know, like let's say someone clicks on one of your search ads or or whatever else on Google, and then and then it's a lead capture form. If you do not put a disclaimer underneath the lead capture form of what you're going to do with their data or explain how you're going to use their data, your search score drops drastically. Huh. Wow. Drastically. And so it just made me think of and like there was a couple other little points that that came out in that one. I was just like, oh man, it's just we're in this era now where you've got to be constantly looking for where can you get that plus 5%, you know, and if you can get enough of those like plus 5%, then you all of a sudden have increased your, your search traffic by a hundred percent. But it's just like, like that little one where if you do not put um, the disclaimer of what you're going to be using their data for at the bottom of the, the lead capture form, you've now lost a huge ranking on the search. Yeah. So, so that, that was one really interesting one that came out, but um yeah, I think I think it's just 
just really using that human centered design when you're thinking about, you know, your search terms or your websites or anything like that. Absolutely. What I, what I also thought was interesting sort of like about that experience is, you know, he, he was moving very, very, very quickly through sort of like the buyer's journey, right? Like the dude knew like what kind of shirt he wanted to print our logo on. Right. And so mm-hmm. it was the first time, like he had never actually used this company. So he wasn't sure what company he was going to like buy the branded shirt, you know, through, but he knew he was ready to sort of like buy a branded shirt, uh, a branded uh, shirt. And so what was uh what's funny to me is right like why you know as marketers like i we have pop-up forms and we've got like legion forms everywhere because we know that like if we can get matt to give us his email we can follow up you know up with him with multiple offers right and we understand a little bit more about like oh matt is interested in blue shirts because he converted on this page versus zach is interested in red shirts because he converted on that page right and this is all the stuff that you know we marketers geek out about and love um, but what's so interesting about that is the only reason to capture that email right on that page is if Matt isn't going to buy something immediately. And in my brother's context, like in Nick's context, like he was ready to make that purchasing decision. Right? Right. Like, yeah. And so it's like the, the pop-up form actually not, it, it wasn't that he was annoyed that he had to give his email address. He was annoyed that he couldn't complete a purchase quickly. Right. So that's mm-hmm. why he went back to the search result pages. So again, that doesn't happen all the time, but it is interested, interesting as you talk about sort of like human centered design and how we'll see websites evolve is like, there should be indicators, there should be signals, right. Feeding back to your site in some way, shape or form that helps you better understand sort of like almost like a buyer intent score when they hit your website. Like what is the likelihood that based off of like the query Matt came off of, that he's actually like he he's close to buying, and if so, let's remove right all pop up forms. Let's totally like eradicate any lead gen, uh, you know, sidebar forms because we're really just trying to get him to make that purchasing decision. Now, all of this obviously works a little bit differently in higher ed, right? Like folks don't you know buy college and enroll immediately like they do a branded T shirt. But I think a lot of the same sort of like principles are are worth considering. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. I think even another thing you just remind me of is the retargeting capabilities and how we see a lot of our clients just not even leaning into those mm. at all. And, or even, even just something like, I, I, I couldn't even believe it when I was looking through some of our, you know, creative and what clients are using and whatever else, and, you know, we see creative from over a hundred universities and colleges. So we get a pretty good grasp of what's happening. And I can't even tell you the number of clients that, have the same creative targeting high school students as they do their parents. Mm. And it's, it's just like, Oh man, like they're such different audiences and they're looking at such different things. You know, it's like, I just can't even believe that they have the same creative targeting both or, you know, like when they do do a search and they land on a page and then you can, you can get them with a, you can get their con or their info with a pixel. And then you can have completely different retargeting campaigns based on where they've landed. You know, if yeah. they've landed on this, this program website versus this program website, like you can have a completely different retargeting content and, and, and so many clients are just not doing that. It's in fact, I'd, I'd say it's like, it, even like in one of our last um, surveys where we surveyed higher ed marketers, asking them about where they're spending their ad budgets and everything. It was a shocking low, shockingly low stat of how few are actually using search engine marketing. Like it was, it was like 65% or something. I was like, how is not, I thought it was going to be a hundred, yeah, you know, like yeah. it, it was kind of mind blowing that not 
not all universities and colleges are using search engine marketing. So that was, that was fascinating. Yeah. It, it's sort of like you, it, it's the difference between sort of like targeting to an audience that at least has, uh, you know, marginal brand affinity or brand recall for you versus like constantly going after new people that have never stumbled upon your website. It's like if you went to anyone and said, hey, any any marketer say, hey, would you rather spend money marketing to people that haven't bought from you but know you versus, you know, marketing to people that don't know you and have never bought from you? Like you're going to choose the former group. Like that, that's just how it goes. Like who you'd, you'd, you'd almost have to be an idiot not to, unless you knew that that former group, you know, knew you, right. Had some affinity for you at some point, but ultimately decided that they had no interest in buying from you. Right. And that's a different story. But like, yeah. yet to your point, it's like, why isn't there more in the spirit of like low hanging fruit? Why isn't there more budget? Why isn't there more spend? Why isn't there more strategic thinking around retargeting campaigns? Like, to me that, that that's that's sort of like the lowest of low hanging fruit when it comes to student recruitment. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's you get the highest click through rates, the highest engagements, you know, and like I I just see that as the probably the best spend of your budget because they've already engaged with you in some way, whether it's like following your page on social, liking one of your posts on social, going to one of your landing pages you know, landing on something where you get a pixel on them, whatever, or even look like audiences are genius too. We've been getting tons of success with those, but the number of clients that we're seeing using these tools and using them well, where they have, you know, not only different content for different audiences, but different content, depending on where they're at in the funnel. It's, it's so low. It is shocking. Yeah. 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 In yeah. that, in that vein, I'm, I'm just curious with your focus groups and your surveys, like when you guys talk to students about sort of like ad recall and like you mentioned, right, you've got universities that are spending uh, or, or running creative campaigns that look identical to parents and, you know, students. And there's little to no difference between those campaigns. Like what, what ads do students say they remember? Or are there, are there any sort of like, I guess, like notable trends around the kind of content that students are consuming that they one, remember what content that they consumed and that two, they can associate that content with a brand. Any sort of like notable like takeaways there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, well, I think I'd probably first by start by talking about the ad recall per channel because mm -hmm. that's that's something that's that's interesting to start with is like, where do they remember seeing ads, you know, on different apps or wherever, first of all? Because that's something we always like to survey on is like, where do you actually even remember seeing ads from? And, and so in our, in our survey, and again, these numbers have been static for three years, which again, is kind of shocking. We, we expected to see some variability, but it's been the same for three straight years huh. and overwhelmingly. So 59% of high schoolers remember seeing a higher ed ad on social media, 45% remember seeing one, uh, like just on ad on their wall in their high school. And then 42% recall seeing an ad on a website. So that's your, you know, your Google display, your programmatic, et cetera. And then there's a cliff and then, and then it's TV ad at 13%, billboard ad at 10%, radio ad at 8%. And so this just, we always use these, these stats to inform, you know, where are we recommending clients spend our, spend their budgets. Yeah. And so it's always social high school ads and ads and programmatic. Those are the big three that we recommend. And then of course, social, you know, breaks down TikTok, Snapchat, uh, Insta and, and YouTube or Spotify, you could throw in there as well. But all the other ones we say, like, don't even waste your time because yeah. 
kids are just not remembering ads. They're not seeing ads on these, these channels, even though we know so many clients buy billboards and so many clients buy radio because, you know, sometimes it's politics at the university. Like I can't even tell you the amount of conversations I've had with marketing directors where they're like, yeah, we don't want to spend this 200 grand on a billboard, but we have to, or else our board of governors won't approve the marketing budget. It's like, Oh my God, I can't even believe I just heard that. But I've heard that so many times. And so first I think it's about starting with the channel of what channel do they remember seeing? And those are the ones by and large that they remember seeing. Breaking it down from there. I'm just curious. Do you, do you have any sort of insight around uh, social for instance, right? Which is a shocking, you said like 59%, right? 59% yeah. Um, what about by, by, um, actual platform within that? Is there, is there any sort of breakdown there that you all have? No, we don't. We yeah. didn't get that granular into the data this time around, but that, that would be something really good to know, especially, yeah, because uh, I would expect the data to be pretty skewed because, you know, we also did a survey where we asked how many higher ed marketers are advertising on TikTok, Snapchat, et cetera. And last year, I think it was like six or eight months ago, we got the data, like 1.5% were advertising on TikTok and 9.5% were advertising on Snapchat. Yeah. So it was, it was a shockingly low number. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, we, we don't have that, that granular of a stat on ad recall per platform. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be really interesting, uh, to, to one, get that. So, and, but then, I mean, yeah, to your point, it's probably gonna be really skewed because people aren't spending in the places where these students are spending most of their social time, as you just mentioned yeah. earlier. But um, it would also be interesting, I think, for higher marketers to have insight into like what specific platforms are fo- should be focused on purely brand awareness versus lead gen versus, hey, like, you know, the uh, the quantity of folks that we get from this particular platform is will always be low, but the quality of people that actually convert is really, really high. I think there's still just so much mm-hmm. uh, confusion, quite frankly, and like just a lot of fog around like expectations for certain platforms. I, I think I read this in, in one of your guys' reports. It's like, Folks are saying, oh, well, Snapchat doesn't, you know, yield a lot of ROI for us. And it's like, well, if you look at how much they actually spent, they spent, you know, $1,500 one time on one campaign. And then they came to this conclusion that Snapchat just doesn't work for them. And it's like, that's not fair. Like, no, no, Mm -hmm. you know, good. That's not a good sound, you know, test. And, you know, good for you. How? Like, good for you from a purely brand, from an ad recall perspective. Good from you, you know, good for you from a a legion perspective, et cetera. Like, how are you sort of evaluating that? And I think there's still just like, unfortunately, not enough like concrete data or uh and and maybe this is just because people aren't spending enough in these areas i don't i'm sure there's a number of factors and i'm sure it varies pretty dramatically depending on the institution but like i think it would be remarkably interesting to have some data around what specific platforms are higher ed marketers yielding the best results from from a ad recall standpoint, from an overall brand awareness standpoint, from a legion standpoint, and from, you know, a, a, a butts and seats sort of like enrollment standpoint. And that should mm-hmm. inform, again, at the end of the day, if you have that, that should inform how you go about spending next year or the year after. And again, you know, easier said than done here, but like, I can imagine a world where it's like you decide, hey, you know what? Yeah, brand campaigns like if, if the goal is to make this this awesome like you know video that we just put together this 15 second like beautiful drone footage like you know super cool uh dynamic video let's spend a hundred percent of the budget for that video on youtube advertising and snapchat like don't we're not going to put this video on we're not going to spend money to promote this video on facebook or instagram right like and i think that that 
that insight is still just lacking. Like people don't feel confident in where they're spending and what rough expectations, right, they can associate with particular spend and specifically particular spend per uh, platform. So anyways, I I think it'll be really interesting if and when you guys uh, drill further and and even a little bit deeper into sort of like, okay, where you said 59% of you recalled seeing an ad on social media. Where do you remember seeing the ad? Um, that that would be super interesting to to unpack. Yeah, absolutely. And and to touch on a couple of points you just made there about you know what which which channels play the best in each part of the funnel. So TikTok, for example, we still see it as a really good awareness play. Yeah, and it's also it's also really expensive. That's the other thing that should be mentioned is that TikTok is still probably the more expensive platform out of those ones we just mentioned, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, it's still the most expensive. So it's still really good on the awareness play, maybe a little bit into the, you know, consideration or, or engagement, but not, not a great conversion platform yet. Mm. They're still, they're still working out a lot of kinks with their ad targeting and whatever. And, you know, that kind of thing. And like, for example, in Canada, you still cannot advertise to a Metro city. It's still only by province, or I think it might like maybe even national in some places Um, in the U S it's a lot more targeted. So you can get into a Metro area and there is some psychic or um, demographic targeting, et cetera, but lead gen capabilities are just not there. So great for awareness, and, and, and that also leads into something else, which is, you know, you, we see so much higher ed still spending a huge percent of their budget on Facebook and Instagram, even Facebook, like, you know, less than 35% of kids are using Facebook on a daily basis, but 77% of higher ed is spending their budget on Facebook ads. So it's just like this huge disconnect. And to me, and we just saw, like I talked about earlier, we saw a 10% decrease in the daily usage of Instagram this year. Yeah. So to me, that just says like, you have to diversify, especially when a big part of your, your audience is high schoolers. They are the most ethereal demographic, you know, they're constantly changing platforms. So therefore you cannot put all your eggs in the Facebook bucket because that bucket is slowly decaying. And now I I think we're going to start seeing that with Instagram too. Honestly, Mm. I I think, I think we're going to start seeing Instagram decay amongst the high school population. And so you have to get it. And even though TikTok is more expensive, it's a more expensive platform. Like you got to start figuring it out because it's not going anywhere. And yeah, it might be a little bit more expensive, really only great in the awareness part of the, the funnel, but it's like, you got to figure it out because if not, you're already left behind if you yeah. haven't started figuring it out. So TikTok, great in the awareness part, still more expensive. Snapchat is actually probably the best bang for your buck platform. Like we, we see some of the highest numbers for, you know, click through rates, the cost per impression, like all those kinds of things. It's, it's one of the best bang for your buck platforms. And it's, it's also pretty good for lead gen. We've been testing it out with lead gen. It's quite good at that. So it's, it's pretty good at all different areas of the funnel. And another thing I should mention too, is, you know, we, we hear a lot of clients, they get, they're skeptical, like, oh, we don't have the budget to throw into this kind of creative, whatever. You can just have these animated ads, which take a static ad and just really add some little bit of animation. You know, we've made them for like 500, 2000 bucks and they're good. They perform well. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not, not going to be winning any design awards anytime soon, but they work, they work well. And it's, like I said, it's a great way to dip your toes into the proverbial Snapchat or TikTok pool and, and start seeing results and get it familiarized with the platform. Yeah. 
No, and I, I love what you said about Snapchat. And you and I have talked about this before, but it's like, it, it, you guys are seeing this these like really interesting insights, uh, this good ROI on this platform. And I feel like it's it's the platform that is least talked about. Like I, I, I just don't hear folks talking about their Snapchat strategy, right? I don't hear folks talking yeah. about their spend strategy on Snapchat. And it's like, why is that? Like, especially if you guys have data saying like, hey, this is this is actually working. You can get you know, some good ROI here. It's like, interesting. Uh, that's a signal, right? For everyone listening, like, go yeah. launch a Snap campaign, like test it out, right? Be smart about it. But like, and, and, and to your point, yeah, it does seem like with Snap and, and, and TikTok in particular, the biggest sort of like friction point, the biggest holdup tends to be beyond budget. It's like, oh, creative. Like, how am I going to do this? Like, uh, the, the video ad still seems like this really scary thing for people to do. Um, hopefully that's changing. But like right now, I think it's still, it, it, it's mostly a creative friction point more than anything else. Why 77% of higher ed marketers are still spending money on Facebook is because they know that formula. They know how to create yeah. creative for Facebook. Uh, and that's why they're doing it. Another, another interesting thing, just in sort of like the the spirit of like content consumption and behavioral changes and how Gen Z sort of like works and thinks a little bit differently than previous generations. Um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about sort of like the kinds of ads, the kind of creative that work, right? And when ads don't look like ads, like that works for Gen Z or when you trade a model for like a, you know, attractive, but like normal looking person, right? That tends to perform better on a video ad campaign. And maybe, you know, a, a big reason for this just to make, you know, uh, sure our audience is, is thinking, on, thinking on this is like, you know, only like 45% uh, of Gen Z has cable, like our watches cable and 72 ish percent, right. Have a Netflix subscription. And so like their content consumption, they are used to con consuming content without ads. Like it's not like, you know, even, you know, when I, when I was growing up, right. And like, you're used to every TV show at some point, right. You watch four minutes, three minutes, five minutes, six minutes of ads, whatever it is, right. Uh, a few different times during the show. Like you're, you're conditioned, like you know that, you're, you expect the ad, right? And as such, nine times out of 10, right? Those ads are very, very different than the program that you were just watching or the program that you were just consuming. And mm -hmm. sometimes intentionally so. And yet we are now dealing with a generation, right? That has not grown up in the same way watching these sorts of ads, right? And so when it comes to how we think about creative on social, how we think about running digital campaigns on social, it's imperative that we remember, right, that these folks are not used to interruptive experiences. They binge Netflix mm. where there are no ads, right? So we need to think about how that informs and should inform the creative approach that we take to content development, specifically content development that we're going to use for advertising purposes. That's a that's a really good point. And I think it I think it, it really just comes back to a mindset, which is the mindset of providing value in every interaction for the customer, or in this case for high school students, you know, it's like, how is, and this is something we do at our company too, you know, every piece of advertising, every piece of email marketing, whatever it might be, it's like, how are we adding value to our customer, to mm. our clients? How are we adding value? You know, like I can't even tell you the number of TikTok ads that I've seen where I've watched the whole thing. Cause yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's entertaining. It's, it's, it's informative, you know, whatever, like, and, and you, you realize pretty quickly that it's for a product, but it's like, I don't really care. Like this is, this is entertaining. You know what I mean? So it's like, and, and I know that's not always practical for a university or college for producing those types of entertaining or super engaging ads all the time. But it's like, I think, I think it's a mindset and a culture that needs to be 
infiltrating the the marketing or recruiting departments of the campuses, which is just like always asking that question: How are we adding value for our customer, our client, our students? Yeah, and and I th- and I think that's when you know, like, cause you, I've seen some of those ads and it's like, okay, how does, how is this adding value for anybody? Like, this is not telling them the information they want to know, whether it's like programs, you know, dates, deadlines, that kind of a thing. It's like, how is this adding value for anybody? And it's, it's just, it's really the, you know, in that inter- interaction, it's like your brother that got the pop-up window, get the email. It's like, they're trying to take from you instead of trying to give to you. Mm. And I think, I think that's, that's a huge differentiator. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And, you know, the last note I'll just make on, on that front is, you know, when you think about like TikTok and you think about, uh, content, right. It's like a lot of, a lot of TikTok content is like how to do this thing, right? Like, Hey, watch me do this. Uh, whether it's this dance move, whether it's, Hey, watch my morning routine, whether it's, uh, watch how I make a salad. Right. (laughs) And, What's so funny to me is that it's educational, like inherently, a lot of the time, right? Like it, it genuinely is. Um, whether it's good education or bad education, like your call, but like it's it's educational nonetheless. And I think what's so funny is we're talking about an industry, right? That is education, it's education. and it's like I know. truest of senses, right? So it's like, why aren't there more how tos for? Hey, here's how this thing that you use in your daily function actually works or actually gets built or here's how you conduct like a uh, a research project that will win you some you know notoriety whatever it is it's like you're talking about an industry that is literally equipped to educate the next generations they should be primed to produce amazing how-to content i 100 percent agree so some of my favorite tiktok creators you know, I follow some philosophers or some psychologists. I love philosophy and psychology. They're two of my favorite topics or, you know, business, whatever it might be. So when I open my TikTok, it is honestly like a, it's probably as much education as it is um, entertainment. You yeah. know, like I, I do follow, like I love electronic music. So I follow DJs and whatever else. And like, I've no van. And so I follow people that, you know, are doing van stuff. But when I'm following these ones on that are, that are educational, I'm like, why is there not a university that has their, you know, content creator, the person in charge of their TikTok or snap or whatever account, just going to different faculty members that happen to be good on camera or just interesting and just getting them to record some of the stuff. Like I can't even tell you the amount of, of TikToks I've seen that is honestly just a college student that has gone to an introduction. It might even be the first class in their introductory psychology class that has just recorded something about Carl Jung or, or, you know, Freud or, or any of these psychologists, they post it on TikTok and it's somewhat creative. And then it just blows up. It's like, <laughs> how are universities not doing this? You know, it's just like, it's such a simple win or just like going to the different faculty and being like, what's the most, what's the most relatable general content or topics that are interesting to the general population and then just posting those on their on their channels like those will for sure do well and that's the brilliant thing about tiktok is it will only send that content to people that it knows is is relevant yeah. so people that have liked psychology content before they will send that to them and if it's decent then it'll probably do well you know what i mean so it's just like i i 100 agree i i can't even tell you the number of times where i'm like why are universities and colleges not <laughs> doing this they literally have like how many thousands of faculty that are experts in these fields. And then I see this like freshman college student sitting in their introductory class that just learned this fact that everyone learns in their introductory psychology 101 class. 
and now it's got like a million views. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. 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 No, no. I have to agree. Uh, yeah. Uh, wow. We could, we could go on. Um, I think that this is, uh, more than enough, uh, you know, content for, for us now, uh, our listeners are probably like, all right, Matt, Zach, shut up. We get it. Um, <laughs> and, but hopefully this inspires folks to, you know, take a second look at their social strategy, um, take a second look at their, their page strategy and maybe think a little bit differently and a little bit creatively about, Hey, what would it take? What could we do a little bit differently this, this year, uh, as we enter fall, right? Very, very important season for, for, uh, higher ed marketers think about like how to incorporate TikTok as part of your event marketing strategy, right? Or think a little bit more creatively about how what would it look like to develop a snap strategy uh, that sort of resembles a you know college road tour, whatever it might be. Hopefully that the some of the ideas that we shared, some of the insight Matt uh, Matt gave and offered is helpful as you rethink how to reach students in a more dynamic, interesting, compelling, and ultimately sustainable way. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Zach. Thanks you, Matt.